make sure you've got the right foundation before you go. And that's what we did. And it's just kind of taken off since. And we're now trying to grow internally our team, you know, and scale as fast as we can, because it's, you know, it's a big difference going from opening, you know, five, six units a year to 70 or 80. But I think we're making the right decisions and growing the team, you know, accordingly to be able to deliver. Welcome to Franchise Empires, where aspiring entrepreneurs learn exactly what it takes to become a successful franchise owner from one location to 10 and beyond. I'm the Wolf of Franchises. Hey everyone, it's the Wolf. Today on the show, we have Greg Rebard, who is the CEO of Body20. While he didn't found the company, he did acquire it early on in its infancy, and it actually started in South Africa. But prior to Greg getting into Body20, he was a co-founder of an electricity company that ended up getting acquired for over $100 million. This is a fascinating journey of Greg's entrepreneurial life and how he found himself from running an electricity company to now being the CEO and taking over a boutique fitness franchise that has over 180 locations being built around the country right now. I think you're going to enjoy this. The Wolf of Franchises is the CEO of Wolfpack Franchising, as well as a creator at Workweek Media. All opinions expressed by the Wolf and podcast guests are solely their own opinions and do not reflect the opinion of Wolfpack Franchising or Workweek. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be relied upon as a basis for investment decisions. The Wolf, Workweek and Wolfpack Franchising may maintain positions in the franchises discussed on this podcast. You've clearly obviously had an interesting journey into franchising and you know we were just talking off air about it started with like uh, electricity slash power company. So do you want to maybe just give us a heads up of when that started and what kind of what that business was all about? Sure. I'd love to. And thanks for having me on. Uh, excited to be here. Uh, yes, I had an interesting journey to franchising. I'm in the grand scheme of things, somewhat of a, a rookie, I guess, you know, got involved in 2019 with Body20. And but before that, I was actually in, you know, I think we'll probably get into what Body20 does. It's a workout that uses electricity. So somewhat unique. But actually, I started my career ironically, in the electricity industry. You know, so before that, you know, it's kind of bounced around mostly in real estate. But in 2009, I was 25 at the time. My father had called me a couple months before this, and his whole career had been in the commodities industry. And and he had retired when I was in college. So at this point, he was retired for like seven years. You know, so that's kind of my adult life. It's just you know he's retired, living it up. And he called me one day, 2009, 2008, 2009. You know, market crashed. He had a lot of money in the market, a lot of money in real estate. And, you know, he just, I remember the call so vividly. He's like, I am very unretired. <laughs> so, oh. you know, scary moment for him, you know, but also just scary for me as his son. And so he just, he'd, you know, been working for himself, had an incredible career in the commodities industry, oil and gas, and had been working for himself, you know, built an amazing company before that and realized he's going to have to have kind of a second act in his life and career. And, and he hadn't worked for someone in a long time. So it was naturally going to be entrepreneurial. And, Pretty soon after that, you know, we just said together, you know, let's start a company, you know, let's just let's do something, we'll figure this out together. And, and he still had some money, you know, that was good. In, in the grand scheme of things, a pretty good amount of capital. But for him and the way he was used to living, you know, it wasn't going to last certainly through retirement. And so we found this industry, which was very nascent, you know, at the time, and in Connecticut, at least it was and in other parts of the country is much more robust, which is retail electricity and natural gas. So in 17 states, maybe more now, 
the energy markets, you know, have competition. So you have to buy your electricity from the utility, still gets delivered by the utility through their wires, pipes, and poles. They most of the time still bill for it, but you can choose where it actually comes from, you know, the supplier. So you could do that. So you're like a broker almost of sorts? Because like, since you're not actually owning the energy, are you kind of just coming in and... So there are brokers in this space, but we actually were a supplier. So we actually did own it. We didn't own the generation. We would buy okay. it from the generators. There's the, you know, obviously a huge marketplace for this. We would buy it from the generators, you know, and then essentially resell it to the end consumer. Um, and people switch, you know, sometimes to save money. Sometimes they want 100% renewable. Sometimes they want to lock in a price for, you know, multiple years, things like that. And so that industry is just getting started in Connecticut. It was not what he did in his past, but it was in the same. It was in the commodities industry. And so he had a lot of connections. And we just, you know, he always says, you know, which I think was very apropos with our experience there was, you know, we just took one step towards it and it took one step towards us. You know, just from the start, it just always felt like it was kind of meant to be. And, you know, we worked hard. We did a lot of good things, but we kind of had the winds at our wind at our back and got in the right industry at the right time. And so we started this company, North America Powers, myself, my father, and two other partners started it in my apartment building in a sublet in a law office on the retail level. And, you know, just as I said, right industry, right time, we ended up I figuring out who's going to do what I had I was 25 at the time, I had a little bit of experience, obviously, you can't have much experience at 25. So I was naturally on the CMO, I'm the chief marketing officer, you know, just because I know a little more than everyone else. And so I was responsible there for, you know, coming up with the name, the brand, and really how we were going to acquire customers and how we we're going to build revenue. And, you know, we did a lot of, a lot of clever things and uh, right place at the right time. But we ended up bringing in 100,000 customers in our first year. And that's homeowners? Homeowners. Yeah, we, it was residential. You could serve residential or commercial, and, but we focused on residential and ended up doing 23 million in revenue in our first six months and 125 million in our first 12 months. Whoa. So pretty like astronomical, you know, just kind of rocket ship, you know. And so for me, you know, 25 years old, you know, it was an amazing opportunity. And, you know, we were just kind of along from the ride, along for the ride right from the start. And very exciting. And yeah. let's dive into this a bit. I'm going to guess most people listening to this have no idea, like the unit economics of the energy business. I sure as hell don't. So we're talking about literally, you were the company where I go to cook eggs on my stovetop, the gas, like you're the one supplying me the natural gas and I guess the electricity just so when I, you know, want to watch TV that my TV turns on, right? Like it's that, let's just start at the basic level there. It's so similar to telecom. I haven't told this story in a while, actually. <laughs> similar to telecom, you know, you had one company that owned the wires, the pipes, the poles, the billing, everything. And so it was a monopoly, essentially. And they had complete pricing power. And they essentially broke up, you know, Ma Bell, you know, way back in the day, they broke that up, you know, and they deregulated the telecom space. And that's where you have, you know, you got Sprint and MCI and all that. And all of a sudden, long distance and all these things started to come down in price. Now we don't even think about you know, cost per minute for long distance calls and things like that, because the competition drove down price, and also created a lot of innovation, you know, the, obviously, the cellular industry and smartphones and all of that. So it was a really successful deregulation, the airlines went through the same thing, you know, a long time ago. And, and so it's the same concept with electricity and gas, where you had back in the day, or still in some states, you have this, you have one company that owns generation, they own the transmission lines, and they own the local distribution. They have a complete monopoly. And so you really have no choice. You can't leave them. And how do you create competition? 
obviously you don't want like 10 power companies putting power lines down the street. So you're not going to create competition on the delivery side. You don't want multiple transmission lines. So you're not going to have, you know, competition there where you can have competition is on the generation and on the supply of the power and how it's sourced. And so that's essentially what they deregulate and they force the utilities to sell their power plants and get out of that business. So they essentially didn't care. They didn't care who was delivering it. If you didn't switch to somebody else, they'll supply you on kind of standard service. But if you switch to somebody else, they actually build for us, you know, and they'll essentially take our power, deliver it to the local customer. And in the case of most of the states we're in, they'd actually do the billing as well. It's a very unique industry. I haven't talked about it in a long time. I mean, I have no idea, like margins, like you said, you did 23 million in the first six months. I mean, like, is it like groceries where it's like 2% profits or, you know, I mean, because it's the definition of a commodity business that you're in. Sure. We're serving residential customers. If you can imagine your electric bill, I think you live in Texas. It sounds like, you know, you probably have a bigger bill than the average consumer, especially in the summers. About, depending on the state, half to two thirds of your bill is the supply. So you're charged separately for the supply cost and the delivery cost. And so all that revenue on the supply cost would have been our revenue. You know, so if we were serving 100,000 customers, that's 100,000 customers who are essentially paying two thirds of their electric bill that's going to us. Now, the margins on that, you know, would change, you know, dramatically, depending on, you know, seasonality, literally changed by the minute in the electricity markets. Um, so it really varied, but it was a pretty, you know, it was a lucrative industry. And, and from a revenue standpoint, you know, with the growth we had in households, the revenue could grow really quickly. Um, and over the seven years, we ended up bringing, you know, bringing in over a million customers and had about 300,000 when we sold. So, and I, I assume your father's uh, experience with commodities trading, maybe you had some like really high level access to pricing and forecasting. And I don't know if you can lock in deals like to prevent risk against fluctuations. Like, was that part of your advantage? It was. Yeah, and it was all part of it. It's so funny thinking back on this company. But, you know, it was the commodity industry in general is very volatile. The electricity industry is the most volatile commodity. Um, you know, so it literally changes, you know, minute to minute, you know, so you always want to be marrying up, you know, if I'm guaranteeing a customer's price for 12 months, I need to be hedging for that. I need to, I either need to buy it in advance, or I need to hedge in a way that I can know that I can deliver on that price to the consumer. And so that's what we did, you know, but even with that, you can only hedge <laughs> getting technical, but you can only hedge for a hundred percent, you know, so you're expected to use this much power this summer you're our customer i bought that for you or i've hedged that but now it's a heat wave in texas and so now all of a sudden you're actually using 30 40 percent more so we don't have that extra power because it would have been irresponsible to buy it because we couldn't predict it so now we have to go into the real-time market which is priced by the minute and we have to go in and we have to buy all that extra power that you're using we have to buy that as it's happening and basic supply and demand, the way that market works is that price can go through the roof sometimes Yeah. when, you know, as you've experienced less in Austin, but more outside of Austin and Texas, you know, you can just have some wild swings, you know, in price. So, so highly volatile, you know, one of the things kind of parts of that story that got me into franchising and got me involved with Body 20 was kind of the stress that I lived with over those seven years at North American Power building that business. One because it was so volatile, you know, there was actually a point during the polar vortex in 2014, there was a stretch in January where we lost over a million dollars a day, 
seven days in a row and had no idea if it would stop. You know, it was this weird weather event may not have affected you as much in Texas, but in the Northeast, it was, you know, just frigidly cold, you know, and we had hedged and done everything we're supposed to do, but we didn't have enough power because people were using more and prices through the roof and literally losing a million dollars a day, which is hard to even fathom, you know, and just didn't know if we were going to make it. So I remember having a conversation with my father where we both ended it with, I love you, father, I love you, son, <laughs> just acknowledging that this may, this ride might be over. But fortunately, you know, we were, it's funny, that industry, you're almost like a farmer. The sun came back out and the weather got better and we stopped losing that money and we made it through, which was great. And so that was good. But yeah, it was a very incredible opportunity for me to be given that chance, you know, 25 years old, you know, so I definitely acknowledge that, but I, you know, put everything into it. And because of the volatility of the industry, even though we were kind of a rocket ship, we still almost lost it all at multiple points that combined with my father put his last penny into the business. And we actually borrowed a million dollars from my mother, his ex-wife, who was very kind and generous to loan it back to him. And so for me, I had really my whole family's kind of future on the line for most of the time we had that business, including in moments where we thought we might lose it all. And I was responsible for revenue, you know, building the business and making sure that we grew and, and made money and incredible opportunity, but it just kind of took its toll. And we ended up selling the company seven years after we started it in 2017 to a large public company at the time called Calpine, Texas based as well in Houston. And and I stayed on as part of the deal is I had to stay on and my team stayed on, which was good. But a couple of years into that, you know, I just like selling your company to somebody else. And, you know, it's a very uncomfortable when you start something, you sell it to somebody else and they're in charge and you're not in charge anymore. It's very uncomfortable. I equate it to being awake for your own surgery. Oof. You know, it's not fun to watch. <laughs> and sometimes you have to actually, you know, do the not fun stuff yourself. And so, that was taking a toll too. And I just kind of knew it, it was time to go. And I had some incentives to stay. So that was kind of keeping me there. And then the company actually went private. They got bought by a big PE firm, took private, and my incentives got accelerated. So I think I, I lasted like one day after the, you know, the stock options and, and just said, I'm going to, you know, I'm going to do something else. You know, I'm going to move on. And one of the main motivations I had for kind of getting out and moving on was that I had a one year non compete in that industry. And I thought I was going to stay in the electricity industry. So I'm looking at this one year non compete as somewhat of a hindrance because, you know, I want to do something else. But it also gave me time to figure out what that was going to be. And most importantly, I had over the seven years developed a lot of like, what I would describe as workplace injuries, you know, from sitting all day from the stress, just like hunched over bad posture, drinking too much. I hate to say it because I'm in the fitness industry now smoking cigarettes at the time, just doing all the bad stuff, but then also like running 500 miles a year too. And, you know, so it was just like weekend warrior type mode. And, and it caught up to me about halfway through the company, initially with some really bad low back issues. And then those same issues, which kind of stemmed from a, some, a weak core and some imbalances in my core, turned into tennis elbow in my right arm. I eventually got it in my left arm because I started playing left-handed. <laughs> so I got tennis elbow in both arms. I got Achilles tendonitis in both ankles, and I got plantar fasciitis in both feet, all within like a two to three-year period. And so I was everything in life is great. I've set my family up for life. You know, my father's retired, sailed off into the sunset in South Florida, and you know, so life is good, but I feel like shit, 
and my friends, I was like 32 at the time. My friends are making fun of me. Like I'm a 80 year old man, you know? So I just said, I'm going to take a year off. I can't work in this industry anyways. And I'm just going to literally go to physical therapy like every day until I fix these issues. And I even knew what was wrong with me. I just didn't have the time. So I was so busy to like really commit to it in PT. And so I was just like, all right, you're off. I'm going to go to PT every day. I don't care if I have to pay out of pocket. I'm not going to live like this. And that's kind of the first step in me getting connected into franchising and into Body 20. Cool. I mean, dude, that's a wild story. And folks, it's a public transaction. Am I right? I'm on Google. It's saying you, it, the acquisition was like 111 million. Is that in the realms of what the deal? If it's public, then yeah, that, that sounds <laughs> right. Okay, Yeah. I mean, it's the first result on Google, North American Power acquired by Houston-based Calpine. Yeah. So, wow. All right. So, big exit. That's pretty sick. And yeah, man, I mean, I it's funny, like, uh, when you're talking about just the health woes, I mean, thankfully, it's not like, wasn't like, su- on the scale of what can happen health-wise, it, it wasn't super serious. But there's that quote of like, a healthy man has a thousand wishes, a sick man only has one. Um, so yeah, it just kind of goes to show you, right? Like if your body, if you're not physically well, I mean, nothing else matters. Even if you are set for life financially, it's like, I'm miserable all the time. And it could have been so much worse, of course, but nagging, you know, anyone that has nagging injuries and those types of things, you know, that it can just, you know, it just impacts every day, you know, and it makes, makes everything a little bittersweet. The quality of life goes down. Sure. So you sell in 2017, you take that year off to get your fitness back. Can you kind of maybe walk us through, I guess, that year off to you discover Body 20? And I don't want to spoil it for listeners, but, you know, Greg, you didn't found it, meaning starting the company, but you did discover Body 20 in its infancy and ended up buying it from the founder. So, yeah, you want to just walk us through how you get from, you know, getting your health back to being the CEO of an emerging franchise. Sure. I like that play on words. I'm not the founder, but I did (laughs) find it (laughs) (laughs) later on. One of the best and worst days of my life, last day of work at that company, you know, it was just bittersweet, but I was also kind of happy to, you know, to take some time off and, you know, left. I think we went on a vacation the first couple of weeks, did like the whole Pacific Coast Highway, which was awesome. Up to Vancouver. Yeah, really fun and really loving life. I would say probably one of the happiest months of my life. You know, it's just, it was really it was worth it. You know, any founders listening to this or business owners, you know, there's so many ups and downs that feeling when you sell your business. I mean, there's just nothing better. And it's not even the money, it's the satisfaction and just the pot of gold, you know, but not the gold, you know, it's the rainbow, you know. And yeah, but what happened very quickly <laughs> was, you know, I just started feeling like less smart, <laughs> you know. <laughs> It's like when you stop working. And so that wasn't good. And I didn't last long just enjoying the time off. I immediately started thinking, what the hell am I going to do with the rest of my life? So you weren't golfing every day and you got bored. And there's a quote. Have you seen the show Succession? Yeah, I love Succession. Yeah. Yeah. So there's a quote on there. You know, they're talking about money. And I think it was like an inheritance. And it was a certain amount of money. I won't say the amount. He goes, that's the worst amount of money to have. Oh, yeah. Five, <laughs> it was five million. Yeah. yeah I remember yeah. the scene. Yeah. I'm but a junkie you, of Succession. It's not enough to retire. But like, you know, but you're also not going to be as motivated. You know, so there's a little bit of that going on too. Of like, <laughs> you know, what am I going to do? But I could also do nothing for a long time. It was interesting. But so around that time, you know, I, I started going to PT, went to a new hospital for special surgery, great hospital that had great PT program. And, and I went in there 
I, at this point, I knew it exactly what had happened to me. For some reason, my glute medius on my right side just kind of stopped working. You know, I lost that kind of mind muscle connection to my glute medius. And your glute medius is essentially like your side of your butt, you know, your butt. And it holds your hips in, you know. So if you have one that's not activating and not working, your hips kind of jut out. And what happens with that is when your hip juts out like that, it actually makes your hips uneven, which makes one leg artificially longer than the other. And so I was running a lot. And if one leg's longer than the other, if you're moving a lot, running, whatever it is, your body does not, it doesn't take long for your body to say, I don't like this. And that's kind of how the initial issues started and actually how each of the other industries, you know, kind of came to be the tennis elbow and all that all stemmed from that kind of core issue. And I knew what it was and I, they, they'd always give you, you know, okay, you need to isolate the muscle and try, we need to re-strengthen it. But it was so far disconnected from my brain that I literally could not do it. And so every time I try to do isolation exercises, I'd use other muscles and like my IT bands would tighten up and I'd get like sciatica and stuff like that. And that was my experience up until that point. So I go to the new PT and I tell them, you know, this is what's wrong with me. They're like, yep, that sounds about right. And they said, we're actually doing this new thing. We think it could be really helpful. And so they ended up hooking me up to, they're putting a bunch of acupuncture needles in my glute medius and then hooking those up to electric stimulation. So it was like really deep in there. And they said, all right, you're just going to lay here for 10 minutes. We're going to contract your muscle. And what it's going to do is it's going to start retraining your brain that muscle's there. It's going to start reminding your brain, you know, because we're going to contract it directly, that muscle's still there. And then after we do this, then we're going to do those same isolation exercises you've been doing. And we're going to see if you can contract it yourself and you can use it yourself. And so sure enough, 10 minutes, you know, it's contracting the bump, but dump, but dump. And after that, I go do the same exercise I've been doing, I can feel it for the first time. And so I do that, I go home, wake up the next day, it's like super, super sore, you know, which is good. And I think maybe went twice before I had no back pain. And I've been living with it for like two years. So this was like was so life-changing for me, this experience. And the timing, the serendipity of kind of what happened next is really just weird. But my father, you know, we sold the business. He moved to Florida, retired, hopefully for good this time. And um, <laughs> yeah. I bought a yacht and living life well. And and he calls me and he says, Greg, I just went and I did this workout. And he was 68 years old at the time. Hates working out. You know, it's not this thing. So it's a funny call to get from him. And he goes, and it's amazing. You know, I'm thinking about investing. You wear this full body suit. And it's got electrodes and it's 20 minutes and it's amazing. And, and, you know, I think we should invest in this. And normally I'm very yin and yang with him because he's, he's such an amazing visionary but it often isn't in the details, you know? And so I was the one that kind of had to figure out the details. And so usually I'm more skeptical in these situations or more focused on the due diligence side where he just is, he just saw it and wanted to do it. So I'd normally, you know, maybe be like trying to talk him off the ledge or slow him down. But I had just like literally had this experience. And I told him, I said, dad, I was like, it's so weird. Cause I literally just had this life changing experience with not that, but you know, electric stim physical therapy. So I was like, I'm not going to tell you not to do it. And that's what happened. You know, he ended up, um, he had gone to the first Body 20 location. I guess a good time to introduce Body 20 here. Body 20 is a boutique fitness franchise. We do a 20 minute workout with personal trainer. And what's really unique and awesome about it is that personal trainer and the client is wearing a full body electro muscle stimulation suit. So while they're doing that workout, it's contracting directly all their major muscles. And you're essentially doing a 20 minute workout 
all isometric movements, basic movements, low impact, no weights, no resistance. You're essentially fighting your own muscle contraction that we're creating artificially. And, you know, we always say, you know, we always train our franchisees and team, you know, don't even talk about it too much. Just tell someone, come in for a free demo. You have to kind of feel it to understand. So I'd say that now, but, you know, virtually most people can't do that yet. But it is just absolutely incredible to work out. It's, you'd be shocked, you know, how gassed you are, you know, at the end of just 20 minutes. So he tries his workout. Uh, the first location in the United States was in uh, Wilton Manors, which is in Fort Lauderdale. Loves it networks into the US partner, Chris Pena, and then networks in or kind of connects through that to the original kind of founding partner in South Africa, which is actually where the company was started, and ends up partnering with them. And then at that point, you know, as I mentioned, you know, he's retired at this point. And so it's kind of full court press now on me to get involved, you know, and it fit really what I was looking for. You know, I'd gotten out of that industry. The further I got away from it, the less interested I was in going back in. I really wanted to do something that I had a personal connection to and a personal passion for. And I had been thinking about it, but for a while, like there's got to be this space between like, you know, I just got out of physical therapy, but I'm not ready to go do CrossFit yet. And I think there's this big gap there of like low impact, you know, but effective workouts. And that, you know, this just kind of fell into our lap, you know, and he saw it and I saw it, you know, because of my experience, I ended up getting involved and ultimately kind of long story short, yada, yada, we ended up buying out the original South African founders and kind of and partnering with their US partner, Chris Pena, to take what they had, which at that point was just a kind of their single corporate location and a couple franchise units and start turning it into to what we have today, which we kind of call body 22.0 because, you know, we ended up changing really almost all of it. Okay. That's a fascinating story. So without getting into like the specifics of the details, but like, so you guys, you're not a master franchisee. You actually bought out. So the South African person or entity. Yes, exactly. So they still have a body 20 in South Africa. They have about 50 units, I think there, which is really good. That's a lot, you know, in South Africa, just demographically. And, you know, I think that business does quite well there, but the body 20 here today, we ended up buying them out fully separating entirely. So it's not a master or licensee licensor situation. We, we own the IP and the brand and really we ended up changing everything anyways, you know, so it's it a unique story. We have a very unique kind of founding story. You know, I think we have like almost three founders. We have the original founder in South Africa that started it in his garage, you know, which is awesome. We've got our US founder, you know, which is Chris Pena and his wife, Kenzie, you know, who opened the first body 20 here and helped start franchising the brand. And then, you know, I'm the not the founder, I'm the one that founded, I guess, (laughs) Um, you know, who's come in and I think helped take it from kind of where it was to to where it is today. And it was an interesting experience, because it was my for me, it was my first time buying a business. It was my first time being a CEO. This is my first time in franchising, my first time in fitness. I knew nothing about electric muscle stimulation. And, you know, so really it was pretty daunting, but we thought we had a business that was really kind of ready to go and ready to scale. And, you know, as after the acquisition, you know, when I came in and we just, I started kind of digging in more and more, you know, we just realized there's a lot more work here than, than we initially thought. And it was, it was pretty terrifying to be honest, because, (laughs) 
you know, the, we just weren't there on the unit economic standpoint. We had some franchisees at the time that were questionable. And, you know, I had literally just read like all the franchising books on, you know, how to franchise a business and all this. And like, everyone says, you know, number one, unit economics, number two, make sure you have the right franchisees. And so like, I'm going through our bit. I'm like, okay, we, we screwed that one up. <laughs> you know, I'm like, oh boy, you know? Yeah. So, yeah. So it was a moment of terror. And, you know, it's, I think there's a great quote in Shawshank Redemption, you know, you can get busy living or get busy dying. And, you know, we kind of realized, oh shit, this is, this got a long way to, to go. And, you know, we got a lot of work ahead of us, but we don't have a choice. And I say that to our franchisees, every training we do, you know, I said, if there was a red, if there was a magic red button in business, and you could just hit that button, and it would all go away, just disappear, you didn't do it, you're out, you know, and it did, never happened. No business would ever get past like a year, you know, <laughs> at some point, at some point, you know, you're going to hit that button and eject. But that's not what owning a business is, you know, you don't have that choice. And, and thank God, we didn't have that choice. Because to be honest, there was times where I wanted to hit the button. And I'm sure for everyone listening to this, if you're a franchisee, you know, there's a moment where you either have or you will want to hit that button. And it's a good thing you don't because most of the time it works out and works out really well. So we didn't have that button, the magic buttons. We had to figure it out. And, you know, we just put a plan in place between myself and my partner, Chris. And, you know, he got empowered when I came in, you know, because the original founder wasn't there. Um, and he had a lot of ideas on what we needed to do, which was good because I had no idea what I was doing. And I just said, you know, I was like, look, I was like, you better know what you, you're doing because I'm going to trust you here. And and so he had some great ideas on things we could do to improve, you know, the performance in the units, which was really most critical. And for me, you know, my experience was really, it was in scaling a business. And so I knew I, I could do that, but we weren't there yet. We needed to get there first. And so I focused on something we always want to do when we bought the brand or we knew we were going to do, which is the brand was created in South Africa, probably on a shoestring, you know, did a great job, but it was created for South Africa and also is just created on a budget. And, you know, I come from a world where you invest heavily in brand. So we did that. We ended up partnering with an awesome agency in New York City, Pearl Fisher. They actually just did McDonald's new packaging. They had an awesome program for kind of early stage companies. They really wanted their fitness clients. So they gave us a really good deal. And we worked with them to, to rebrand. We needed a brand that fit the consumer more, you know, in our workout, it's 20 minutes a week. It's amazing, you know, but the reality of it is it's in a retail setting, like an Orange Theory, like a Soul Cycle, you know, it's boutique fitness. It's with a personal trainer. And is it, it's one-to-one? It's one-to-one. And we use an expensive medical device. Yeah. So we knew our value is incredible. Your personal training sessions are between 37 and I think $50 a session. So less than really any personal training out there and more effective, but it's still not inexpensive. You know, it's not a $20 membership. So we know that the brand, the consumer is, you know, is expecting a lot. And the boutique fitness market in the United States, when we looked at it, it was very much more established than around the world. And the consumer expectation is higher, especially with things like SoulCycle and Cycle Bar and, and Rumble and all these really cool experiential brands. We knew we needed the brand to fit the consumer. And so I uh, worked with Pearl Fisher to rebrand the business. They did a fantastic job and then partnered with a really incredible architecture firm, Bright Architecture, who actually helped create Rumble Boxing, which is a brand that, that we really liked, to take that brand and make it come to life. And so all the while I'm doing this part, you know, Chris is working, you know, with the units, trying to improve unit you know, performance, improve sales. We weren't doing pre-sales 
at the time, which if you know, uh, or for anyone listening that knows boutique fitness, like pre-sale is one of the most important aspects of how this all works. And so we weren't even doing them before that. Chris, you know, in an individual we hired, uh, mathematics came in and helped us kind of build out our pre-sale program. And so we kind of tackled it from the two angles, which was, you know, we're flying in this airplane. And we know it's potentially, I usually say it's going down, but I'm going to be softer. It's not going the right direction. And we're up in the air. And we know that we may not be able to save it. We need to make sure we've got another airplane, but we're in the air. You know, so we basically had to fly the plane, try to save it, and then build our new airplane and hopefully put everyone in it and fly off and take off before we land or crash. And so that's what we did. And he worked with the existing franchisees to increase the performance and drive up the unit economics while we basically created a whole new business, new brand, new footprint, completely new experience, new training methodologies, and then literally changed every single system tool, everything about what we did. And that was all kind of starting to come together in, in uh, you'll laugh when I say the date, but like January 2020 <laughs> was where we just were rolling out the brand. Our first pre-sale is, you know, our studio opened bigger than any of our other studios that just did our first pre-sale. And we were like, for the first time, we're like seeing light at the end of the tunnel and then global pandemic, you know, and, you know, it's obviously everyone is impacted, you know, not just us, but it was really bad timing for us, or at least we thought it was, you know, and I think this is a good life lesson of, you know, you really never know what something is until you die, you know, until it's all over, you don't know why something happened or, or even what the impact long term is, you know, and for us, when we bought the business, you know, at the time, man, did I wish it was doing better, but I'm actually glad it wasn't, you know, because it forced us to do the things we did. And, you know, man, when the pandemic started, I was like, this just can't be like, we're just getting some momentum, you know, but when I look back on it, of course, I wish the pandemic didn't happen, but it ended up being such a blessing in disguise for us because it gave us and for anyone at a startup or who's been at a startup, you're always behind. It gave us this opportunity to catch up. You know, we just said, again, we can get busy living, get busy dying. All our locations are closed. We just turned off all our royalties, all our fees. We got no revenue coming in. But we also don't have any phone calls coming in. You know, we help them with key and all those things, but you know, but everyone is basically doing nothing. And so we said, all right, this is a unique opportunity because we've got all day, every day to build the right foundation and to finish all these projects and all these systems and tools and things that we knew we needed to do. And we just set out with a goal that if and at that point we it wasn't if, you know, because we didn't know if we can reopen or when we can reopen, the one thing we know is that we're going to have a better opportunity for our franchisees when we do. And so we were able to get like seven key projects, all impacting our franchisees, all making their businesses easier for them to operate all across the finish line during that time. So that when our location started opening that summer, a lot of ours were in Florida, which was helpful for us. You know, when they started reopening, we just started doing better than we ever have kind of right from the start. I think we were a little bit benefited for sure because our workouts one-on-one. And so there was a lot of people that weren't willing to go back to group that would do a one-on-one workout, but it was really the addition of all these systems and tools that, that made, you know, made our franchisees jobs easier, better marketing vendors and really awesome customer automated customer review system, you know, and just all sorts of automated texting and messaging and all this stuff. And, you know, it wasn't, the straight line up that my last business was, but we've really just been growing really steadily since then. 
And, you know, we got to a point that next winter where we really felt like, hey, you know, these unit economics and and where we're at as a business, the scalability of what we have is really in a great place. And now is really the time to grow again. And we'd actually stopped selling franchises for about a year because we just didn't feel like we had something that was worth it. And, you know, we let in a couple people that had tremendous experience that, that basically convinced us. But we really, no advertising, no, no outreach for franchise sales. And we just said, you know, we want to make sure that we're in a really good place before we really, you know, put the gasoline on the fire. And, and we hit that point where we just said, we looked at ourselves and we're like, wow, you know, we're really starting to do well here. Franchisees are happy. You know, it's go- everything's going in a really good direction and we think it's time to grow. And so we ended up bringing in a, another partner to the business and our, our chief development officer, Bob McQuillan, who's like a legend in the franchise world. He was at Hand and Stone Massage, helped, you know, grow Hand and Stone from like 20 units to 400. And, you know, just an awesome guy, great partner. And he came in and we paired, you know, an exciting concept, obviously very unique and differentiated that, you know, had strong performance. And we paired it with a legend in the franchise sales space, particularly in the consultant world. And, you know, that combination has kind of led us to where we are today, where by the end of this month, we'll have over 20 locations open. We have, I think, about 30 additional leases signed. And our goal is to have, you know, by the end of this year, close to 100 open, either 100 open or 100 open plus lease signed. You know, so we're trying to do something. And then on top of that, we've got about 180 total in development. So, you know, we didn't grow much for a couple of years. We focused on the foundation, focused on making sure we had good unit economics, the right team in place, a scalable business and systems. And, you know, and this would be my advice to any franchisor listening, you know, don't try to sell through it all, you know, make sure you've got like, you can catch up really fast when you get it right. And just make sure you've got the right foundation before you go. And that's what we did. And it's just kind of taken off since. And we're now trying to grow internally our team, you know, and scale as fast as we can, because it's, you know, it's a big difference going from opening, you know, five, six units a year to 70 or 80. But I think we're making the right decisions and growing the team, you know, accordingly to be able to deliver. That's fascinating. I mean, I wish more franchisors did it, but uh, just sometimes emerging franchises, the name of the game seems to be growth. And if you don't have a solid concept that as the foundation, then, you know, you end up hurting yourself in the long run, which it sounds like you realized, okay, this actually isn't ready for growth. Like we got to tighten things up, get the unit economics right. And it sounds like you also built infrastructure at like a tech level, people operating the business. So, and obviously now you're reaping the rewards for it, which is awesome to hear. Yeah. A little of the like tortoise in the hair, I guess, but we turned into the hair at the end. Um, yeah. yeah. And caught back up. But yeah, it's really kind of exactly what happened. And I think what happens in franchising is that franchising is a finance mechanism. And that's one of the best parts about franchising is that oftentimes you don't need outside financing because if you're growing at the right pace, you can finance the business, you know, and the right investments through your franchise sales and development. But what often happens is that because of that, there isn't another financing source. And so you're forced to just sell franchises. You know, and for us, I think the advantage we had and just I think was a good decision was we had capital outside of the business, you know, that we could invest. So we can sell franchises to people that we shouldn't and sell something at a time where we're still figuring things out too much. Or we can just put our own money in, you know, or in the case of somebody else, maybe outside money. But for us, you know, it was all internal. And that's what we did. We built, you know, we rebranded, did all this stuff and all that work was on our dime. We had very little royalty at the time, almost no franchise sales, you know, but it was worth it to do it that way. 
And it allowed us to kind of make a very conscious decision. When is the time for growth? You know, and I'll say, once we made that decision, we didn't slow it down and we haven't slowed it down within reason. And so now we are in the mode of we're going to scale and grow as fast as we can. I do think there's a bit of a speed to market, certainly with what we're doing. You know, we do have competitors. And so that's important. But I think we have a good plan for it. And the, the plan ended up being kind of serendipity, too, which is when the pandemic happened, we had an office in Boca Raton, Florida headquarters. We all went home, you know, as everyone did. For me, home was Connecticut. So I actually moved back to Connecticut. And we all worked remote. And got back to a point where we could go back to the office and we just started thinking about it and like it was our best year ever we're crushing it we're super efficient and we just kind of said to ourselves you know does this even make sense like what makes us think that makes sense you know like we we just had our best year we're doing great so the idea is you know we'll add an office a training center something we actually got out of our lease went remote and then as that was happening, the business started scaling from a development standpoint, and we just had to scale the team, you know, and so what ended up happening is we started hiring not in one place, but we got to hire from around the country. And what we needed, because of how fast we're scaling, we need, like extreme expertise, you know, like we need the best of the best, you know, to do what we're doing. And there's no way that I could have or that we could have hired the team we have today like which I would consider a dream team in franchising and the experience is really just incredible if they all either needed to already live in one city or all needed to be relocated to one city. And that is like true 10 years ago when people actually moved for jobs. It's like a hundred times more true now because no one wants to move for a job. No one, you know, everyone is realizing you don't have to do that. So it really has allowed us to do what we're doing and to scale at the pace we're scaling because, you know, my head of real estate lives in Santa Barbara. My head of marketing lives in San Francisco. I live in Connecticut. My head of operation lives in Pittsburgh. And he left his last company because they wanted him to move. Yeah. You know, and he didn't want to move. And so it's just been for us, it's made it all possible to find this kind of dream team to help us scale, but also been a great, great opportunity for our key employees and, and you know, to be able to work where they want to work. For sure. I mean, I think uh, remote work's definitely changed the game and like the status quo that companies have to abide by as far as like the requirements for employees. And it's definitely a positive. If you embrace it, it's a positive for both sides. So uh, you, and you're clearly reaping the benefits there. I'm curious, though, for Body20, just from a like if I'm a customer, you know, like I have a gym that I go to. I try to go to four or five times a week at least. Uh, I like to do Orange Theory, which I got into right before I left New York. But, you know, basically like is body 20, is it more for some, like, is it for someone trying to lose weight? Is it someone trying to build cardiovascular endurance? Is it strength building? You know, like, where do you see it fitting in for someone who's either in shape or trying to get into shape? So we're pretty unique when it comes to that. So when we did our rebranding, rebranding is easier than branding because you actually know about yourself. And so we went to Pearl Fisher and we knew so much about who we were already. We knew who our members were and they're going to change. You know, there's some selection bias there because of the old brand. But generally, we knew who was coming in the door and who was liking it. And what was so unique when we looked at that, which my background is marketing and branding. And so this is like such a no-no. But what was so unique is that our customers were like everybody. You know, they range from like a 25-year-old athlete that was using this for performance gains to a 80 year old that 
you know, needs to build strength, but can't lift weights, you know, and can't do traditional fitness, but needs to build muscle mass. And so our, we kind of realized we can try to like get really single focused on like one persona, but really let's just do branding kind of, you know, no, no, number one, and let's actually build this brand for everybody. And so the tagline for Body 20 is everybody unleashed. And it really, I don't say that lightly. It really is an incredible workout for anybody. It's an equalizing workout. And how that works essentially is when you go to Orange Theory, you know, you go to your gym and you're in, let's say you're in good shape, but you're not a professional athlete. You know, you're going to go and you're going to lift weights. And when you lift those weights, you know, or you go down and do a squat, your body is recruiting your muscle. Your brain is essentially recruiting the muscles. And it is able to recruit for you as an average person, maybe 35, 40% of your muscle fiber as an average person. I don't want to call you average, but let's just say. Yeah, come on, man. I'm the wolf, baby. (laughs) (laughs) So, so, you know, but then let's say a professional running back goes in and goes to do a squat. He can probably, he's so well, he's so well conditioned. One, his muscles are bigger, but two, he's so well conditioned that he has the ability to recruit a higher percentage of his muscle fibers. He can actually use more of it and he can trigger it faster. And so when he goes down, he's recruiting 75% of his muscle fibers. He's actually doing more work. He can lift more one because it's bigger two because he's using more of it. And he's actually burning more calories because he's using more of his muscle. And it's the same reason the running back would not be a good marathon runner because he's just burning too many calories with how big his muscles are and how much of it he's recruiting. And so that's when you do kind of a traditional workout. What happens at Body 20, you know, and our workout is 20 minutes. It's one to two times a week. That's it. Mostly strength training, but we do cardio as well. And that same squat, you go down to do a squat and the stimulation turns on. It's on 10 seconds on, 10 seconds off. But while it's on, you're going down and doing, let's say, one or two squats. It's recruiting no matter whether it's you, the professional running back, or an 85-year-old person it's recruiting 90, 95% of that muscle because it doesn't matter how well-conditioned your brain is. We're going directly to the muscle, sending the same, kind of mirroring the same signals that your brain would send, and it's recruiting it directly. So the same way for me when I had the injury I had where I couldn't get my glute medius to fire, that's essentially my brain had kind of lost that connection. The electric, the acupuncture needle with the electric stimulation in my glute medius, it doesn't care the ability of my brain to recruit it it can recruit it fully on its own. And so that's essentially what we do. And so over those 20 minutes, you've got 10 minutes of the 20 minutes where you are under tension. You know, your muscles are being contracted directly by the stimulation and you're essentially fighting the contraction. So you're going down, doing a squat, coming up, going down, doing a squat, all while it's contracted the entire time, which creates resistance. So let's say you're doing a bicep curl while this is going on it actually is going to feel like you have weights in your hands. And the reason it's equalizing the workout is that if you are jacked, you know, and you've got huge biceps, and then next to you is a 70-year-old woman or man that does not have a lot of muscle fiber, maybe a little overweight too, that person next to you, you might be on the exact same settings, doing the exact same workout, the exact same everything, and both exhausted by the end of it, both struggling because it's essentially using your own muscle for resistance. Yeah. So the bigger your muscles are, and actually the less body fat covering them, the more you're going to struggle. 
you know? Yeah. And so we can take a professional athlete, put him on the same settings as his grandmother, do the exact same workout. And he's going to be gassed. He's going to be sweating. He's going to be sore the next day. And so is his grandmother, grandfather training next to him. And so it's just this incredible equalizing workout. You know, it's been used for many years. The industry started in Europe, in Germany, over 10% of all fitness facilities are electric muscle stimulation studios. It's like Pilates there. So it's really just come to the United States in the last few years because the devices just got FDA clearance. And it's incredible. You know, our customers, they love it. Our, we measure across all our studios individually, net promoter scores, you know, they're through the roof. There's just really incredible stories and fitness stories. You know, the most common one is we build lean muscle mass. And that is the one that is almost... I don't want to overspeak here, but it, you know, that's the one we're going to see the most often we do. Every time you come into a body 20, you get on an, an in-body device, which is a bioimpedance tool that uh, measures body composition. So we're tracking all of this, which is important, you know, so you're seeing the results that you're getting. That's the thing we're going to see the most of, which is you're going to start building your lean muscle mass, which is going to help your body composition. So that the fitness story is just is really exciting. But the thing that excites me the most and i always have to be cautious with kind of how i talk about this is that we have non-fitness stories too because the technology we use you know originally is from physical therapy and we don't train injured people we don't fix injuries you know so i have to say that but there's some therapeutic benefits of electric stimulation on the body and fixing muscle imbalances for me and my personal issues it was very helpful and those stories for me as a CEO or for our franchisees, our business owners that, that see their customers every day, or most of them are semi-absentee, but they know their customers. It's such a rewarding business because we've got all those great fitness stories, gaining muscle, toning, looking good, losing weight. But we also have these stories outside of the fitness world that more therapeutic in nature that really just sometimes bring a tear to our eyes. It's fascinating, man. I, you know, I played soccer through college and maybe diehard listeners would have heard that a few times, but division one athlete through college. So, uh, definitely was, you know, big into fitness and had a few injuries that required, you know, we just called it stim, but I guess it's probably the same foundational technology, but that was more of just like laying on a, whatever, like a table of sorts and just having this, the patches applied to like our hamstring and you just feel it twitch basically. And it was kind of uncomfortable when they turned it up because it felt like didn't feel like a burn. I don't even know how to describe it. It was just like tingly feeling getting shot into your muscles. And the efficiency of it is sounds like it could be a game changer. Because I mean, let's face facts. The average person isn't like looking to do a super long, tough workout, right? So if this can be effective in 20 minutes, that's, that's a huge game changer. Yeah, it is. And it's actually interesting, because that's a double edged sword in the fitness space. Some of our consumers love body 20. I mean, many of them, it's actually the number one reason that we get, we just did a survey, time is the number one reason that that our customers gave it as why they love Body20. It saves them time. You're working out 20 minutes, one time to two times per week, in and out in 30 minutes, you know, so just extremely efficient. And you're getting results in that extremely short period of time, you know, which you could do 20 minutes of any other type of exercise, you know, and if we held ourselves to that standard, you know, we are the best and the most efficient way to get a good workout, but we don't hold ourselves to the standard of comparing to 20 minutes of something else. We compare ourselves to doing something else for longer, you know, and we compare extremely favorably to that. There's a study in Europe that 20 minutes of EMS compared to 45 minute sessions of hit workouts with comparable strength gains and results. You know, and one of the ways that happens 
is that when that body 20, you know, I mentioned earlier in the podcast, you're working out for 20 minutes, your muscles are under tension or stimulation for 10 of those minutes. But in that, that 10 minutes, you know, it's extremely, you know, you're exerting yourself significantly, you know, and so it's just very different than traditional fitness. And it sounds like you're off to a killer start. I mean, we did have, I guess, it'll air by the time this episode airs, a company called Ohm Fitness, O-H-M, which is a little different than yours. And it's way newer. You guys are further along. But yeah, it's fascinating. Kind of some of the best franchises just historically were kind of trends or innovations that started outside of America. And then obviously America's a fantastic market, so it can really take off. Uh, excited to see what you guys do. Honestly, saw you have one in Austin. I think I want to go and just try this out for myself as a fitness enthusiast. You know, the, the best way to just see what it's like is to do it. So I'm going to do that. I'd make you feel like I'm giving you a deal here by saying you're going to try it completely free, but that's actually our offer for everyone in all of our studios across the country is the first session is completely free. And and that's the nature of your pioneering something, doing something completely new is, you know, we don't want to sell you for 10 minutes on how it works and all this. Just come in the studio, try it. It's completely free and you'll feel it and you'll see. And, and we have a um, really, I can't share the number, but really impressive conversion ratio from people that try that free demo and people that buy it. It actually blew my mind when I came in, how high it was you know, because it's really compelling, you know, you're going to feel gas at the end of it. And then the next couple of days, you'll definitely feel it. And it's, I think I'm biased, but you know, we've got <laughs> a lot of good data behind it. Yeah, you know, I think the most efficient and effective workout, you know, you can possibly do. It's fascinating. Well, all right, if anyone follows me on Twitter, I will do this workout. We'll see how gassed I am. I'm sure it'll be pretty rough. Uh, I think we need a YouTube of it. Yeah. Okay. We can do that. Uh, we'll see. We'll, I'll see what the content team can put together. All right. Well, look, last question here to kind of wrap things up, you know, have you thought about, I mean, fitness franchises can be massive, right? I mean, Planet Fitness obviously has been around for a while and it's a different value prop. It's a big box gym, but you know, even F45 and Orange Theory boutique fitness companies or Orange Theory's private, but valued over a billion dollars. F45 already went public and they have not the public markets haven't been kind to them from a valuation standpoint. They've been but, up and down. Yeah. But regardless, I mean, the point is here is uh, most people think the only public franchises are the big fast food brands like McDonald's and Wendy's and all those guys, but Domino's too. Yeah. You know, what's your goal here? I mean, you've already had a business acquired. Are you kind of settling in for the long term here and seeing what happens? Or uh, is there, uh, you got Exponential Fitness, who's big and acquiring brands. So yeah, what's the vision? So, it's nice in franchising to be a little more kind of open and honest about this, you know, because our franchisees, at the end of the day, we're here to make money. And that's what they're here to do, you know, and so we get to talk to them about that, you know, and obviously, we're all here, you know, for that purpose, are we happen to do it in a way that changes people's lives and from a health standpoint, and then within franchising, you know, the franchisees lives from a financial standpoint, but you know, for us, the main focus I have as a CEO, you know, and I'll say being a CEO of a franchise brand is a pretty heavy, it's a pretty heavy job, you know, because my investors are not, you know, it's not some hedge fund or VC firm, and it's individual people, you know, and we have some really successful franchisees, very wealthy franchisees that, that are, you know, more successful than us, but it's a lot of people that are investing and trusting us. And so I take that really seriously. So first and foremost, and this is just beautiful alignment here because what is important to them is the way we drive the most value. But what I think about every day and then the rest will take care of itself is we need to provide an incredible investment for our franchisees, you know, and so it, it's cost four to $500,000 to open a body 20. 
you know, we want to have promise to our franchisees is we want to be the best return on that investment in the fitness franchise space. And we think we can do it. And, you know, and that's what I think about every day and what's how that connects to your question and that, that kind of beautiful alignment here is that drives the most value in franchising and in a franchise brand. And there's a reason that Orange Theory is so valuable. The We have a lot, I think, three team members from Hand and Stone Massage, which is a really great brand, 500, 600 locations. They sold recently for uh, close to a billion dollars. You know, whereas then you have, you know, some other multi-unit franchise brands that have thousands and thousands of units that don't have that valuation. And the difference is the more successful your franchisees are, the better the unit economics, the more valuable the brand. So, so that's what we focus on as far as exit. It's impossible to know, you know, for us, but we're not even close to done. We think in point A to point B here, you know, so we've got a long-term vision, of course for what this can be. And it can expand a lot beyond what we're even doing today. But our short-term vision is getting to 100 units open, which we think we can do close to the end of this year, early next year, and also getting to that kind of holy land of return on investment for our franchisees, which we think we can get to that industry-leading place within this year. Definitely. I mean, well, I think your, your head's in the right spot. And that's the beautiful thing about the franchise model is that the incentives really are aligned, right? If the franchisees are doing well, then that means the franchisor is doing well. And yeah, so uh, I'm pumped to see what you guys do. And it's also just exciting to see a boutique fitness, you know, which is a bit of a crowded area in franchising to, to see one with a bit of a more differentiated value prop and, you know, a service that maybe, you know, Orange Theory started kind of the hit trend, at least as I remember it. And obviously now there's a lot more brands out there kind of offering similar workouts, but this is totally different. So yeah, it'll be fun to watch you guys grow. And uh, yeah, man, look, this has been a fun conversation. Where can folks who want to follow or discuss, you know, learn more about Body20 and you, any good places online that you want to point them to? Sure. www.body20.com. That's Body20. And at Body20, Facebook, Instagram, you know, I think this is the best way. Okay, cool. Yeah, folks, we'll plug it in the show notes where you can just find it yourself. But yeah, Greg, thanks again. This was fun to, to run through. Great. Thanks. Happy to be here. Thanks for listening to Franchise Empires. We're coming to you soon with actionable insights to take the next step on your franchise journey. So make sure to subscribe on Apple, Spotify, Google, or wherever you listen. Listen.